So I want to welcome all of you here this morning. I want to especially welcome students who are visiting us today. You are uh, most welcome in this church. We are thrilled you're able to be here uh, and hope that you've already met with God and are feeling encouraged and blessed. We're starting a, a, a series through the book of 1 Corinthians today. We're going to work through the entire book over the coming months. The plan is to read out chapter at a time and to work through it and to invite God to speak to us. That really is our, our priority as we gather as a church, that we would hear from God. And there is no clearer way to hear from God than hearing his perfect words to us as revealed in the Bible. And so in this church, we make a priority of reading the scriptures and opening our hearts to hear from God as they're read. So that's what I hope will happen today. There's nowhere to hide when you go through a book like this. And we're going to hit some eye-watering moments when you might think, oh my word, are they really reading this stuff out? And it's important that we do, especially in a day and age like this one. In Romans 12, we're told, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a day and age where we're always being indoctrinated. You might think, well, you come to church to be preached at, but you get preached at all the time. And there are all kinds of philosophies and worldviews and ways of living and ways of doing life that we're being told and taught and fed. And it can be quite conflicting at times to know what's right and what's wrong and, and how do I make decisions. Well, we are so privileged, aren't we? that we get to open the Bible and hear from God. We are privileged. When I think of brothers and sisters around the world who don't have that same freedom, but we have that freedom here today. So as I read through this passage, I want to encourage all of you, listen attentively, carefully, as you are listening directly from God himself as these words are read. Believe that God wants to speak to you today. Reveal himself to you today. Believe these words are words from God for you, for us. They come with power. They really come with power. Let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Let's listen to God together. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the foolishness of the gospel. We thank you for Christ crucified. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our all in all. You're our boast. You're our message. You're our hope. You're our victory. You're our redemption and sanctification. You're our freedom from sin. You're our hope forevermore. You're our eternal life. You're the reason we live 
and breathe and have our being. And today, we listen to your words that we might grow in our love for you and our love for one another, in our oneness with you and our oneness with one another, that we might be a city upon a hill whose light cannot be hidden. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. This is a a wonderfully helpful church for us. As we go through this book, we're going to find this church is full of massive issues and massive problems. We're going to find that this is a church that makes us look pretty decent as a church, (laughs) which is encouraging. And yet this is a church that finds itself in the scriptures as an example to provoke us and to help us and to encourage us. I want you to just imagine with me that you, that work has relocated you and uh, you're, you're moving to Greece and, and you are making a priority of finding a good church, which is what you do when you move to a new place. You make a priority of finding a really excellent church to be based with. And uh, you're told that you're 10 minutes or so from Corinth. And someone says to you, oh, there's a great church in Corinth. It's a church that the apostle Paul himself planted. You should check that church out. And so that's what you do. You rock up on a Sunday. And uh, probably would have been a Friday or Saturday. Saturday uh, back then. You rock up. And, and, and you, you arrive on the occasion when this letter is being read for the first time. And you think to yourself, what a brilliant moment for me to arrive on this first Sunday as a letter is being read out from the Apostle Paul himself to this church. Wow, what a privilege for me to be here. What an exciting place to be. What an exciting church to be a part part of. And then this, this letter starts getting read. And it's not long before you hear there are massive divisions in the church. There are rivalries. There is bickering. It's not long before you hear that brothers and sisters in this church are taking each other to court and suing each other. It's not long before you hear loads of members of this church are going to temples and sleeping with prostitutes. It's not long before you hear that in this church there is incest. It's not long before you hear that in this church when they have communion, people are literally getting hammered. (laughs) And not only that, but they're boasting about these things. And you think to yourself, I think I'm going to find another church. (laughs) Welcome to the church in Corinth. Welcome to the church in Corinth. This is what's been going on here. And so the apostle Paul writes a letter. Now, here's the thing. How's he going to introduce himself? How's he going to start this letter? To the church in Corinth, you miserable bunch of rotten sinners. That would have been reasonable. To the church in Corinth, you depraved bunch of lunatics, what's going on? You wicked, vile, rotten people, sinful people. How does he start? I just want you to see this. Verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth. Just pause there. Now, bear in mind these scriptures are inspired by God. If I'm God, I want to distance myself from this crowd. This is God's church. 
doesn't belong to any man or any person. This is God's church. So the church in Corinth, the church of God, listen to this. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those called as saints, seriously? Saints? Holy? Holy people? People set apart? Are you serious? And then verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Paul starts this letter that he's, he's written to this church which is full of immorality and full of sin and full of mistakes and full of failures and full of disappointments. And he starts by saying, you're saints You're sanctified, you're called, you're loved by God, you are chosen. And what's more, I thank God for you. It's astonishing. He speaks over them the the very true identity of their hearts. He says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember your true identity. Know who you are. Know what God has done. And every time you and I, when we arrive, as we've arrived today, I wonder how many of us, if we're being really honest, arrive through these doors with a sense of, I'm holy. I am a saint. I am floating like an angel. One of two of you might feel like that. That's not me. We arrive, and if we're being really honest, we're very, very aware of our failures, and we often have a battle to overcome a sense of feeling like we don't really belong in God's presence. And we sit, sit down, or we stand up, and the last thing we want the guys leading to say is, hey, how's your week been? Has it been rubbish? Yes! Stop talking to me about my rubbish week! We arrive, and and, and the last thing you want is to be dwelling upon all of your failures. But that's what you're feeling. So what do we need to do when we gather? What What do we need? What do you need from us? You need to lift your eyes to Jesus, right? Which is what we did today. Speak Jesus. I lift my eyes to Jesus. I need to hear the words of God over me. I need to hear who I am in Christ. I need to know what Christ has done for me. I need to know how Christ sees me. I need to understand how God sees me. And when you come into God's presence, he doesn't say, go away. You don't belong here. He doesn't say the cheek and the nerve that you have come into my presence after what you've done. He says, saints, sanctified, loved, holy, Forgiven, washed, made clean, made pure. You deserve to be here because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Isn't that good news? And so we fail you if we do anything other than lift your eyes to Jesus and, and, and urge you to fill your mind and your heart again with who you are. You're to remember who you are. And so Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and that's what he does right from the word go, because all that was going on was indicative of the fact that they'd forgotten who they were, that they hadn't fully grasped the work of Christ in their hearts, 
and the fullness of what God was leading them into and the freedoms that God has won for them. Church of God in Winchester, you are called to be saints. You are sanctified. You are set apart. You belong to Jesus Christ. You are precious to him, loved by him. You're his treasure. You're the apple of his eye. You are his sons and his daughters. You've been adopted into his family. You wear robes of righteousness when he sees you. The Father in heaven sees Jesus. He sees glorious, beautiful, perfect righteousness. The church of God in Winchester. That's who we are. That's who you are. And we must hear these words spoken over us because we spend far too much time listening to lies. I think it was Lloyd-Jones, the, the great preacher of the last century, who said that the problem most Christians have is they spend too much time listening to themselves and not enough time speaking to themselves. Speak truth over your heart. Speak truth. May your mind, may your heart be transformed by the word of God, the renewing of your minds. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do you realize how incredibly precious you are to God? You see, the power of sin is not just in its deception and in its ability to tempt us. What, what sin does is it takes aim at the, the, the most precious aspects of who you are, your very identity as a child of God. Sin aims for that. And so when you sin, because you will and you do, the next thing that happens is you're, you're then led into shame and despair and you're led into isolation and you're led into darkness and you are in a place of wallow and that leads to doubt and it leads to despair and it leads you to question your faith even and to question God, am I really a Christian? Am I really? And then the voice comes in and says, no, you're not. You're not a child of God. God doesn't love you. God cannot love you. That's the, that's the pattern. So well done for being here today and not staying in that place. Some of you perhaps didn't even think you should come today. But you're here. And what God wants you to know this morning is you're a saint. You're a saint. So you are not a sinner first. You're a saint. Right? That's your identity. You're a saint. You're a saint. I'm a saint. Do you know that? It doesn't mean that you don't sin. You do. But it means that when God calls you, hey, saints, Let's worship, let's be together, let's celebrate, let's dance, let's sing, let's express our love and our adoration to our God because we are saints. We're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm no longer dead in my sin, I'm alive in Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm a slave to righteousness. I no longer live for myself, I live for Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. I'm a saint. These Christians, and you think that you had a bad week, the stuff that was going on here, even the pagans would wince at. And yet, Paul's not ashamed of them. He 
He's not ashamed to associate with them. He takes 16 chapters. You'd have thought he'd have just gone, cut it out, stop it, sort yourselves out. Signed, Paul. But he, he, he patiently, lovingly works truth, massages, if you like, truth into this church. What I want you to also see in this passage is Paul's overwhelming obsession with Jesus. It's a good obsession to have. In the first nine verses alone, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I'd I'd just encourage you just to do a scan with me. Maybe the passage can go up, and as the passage goes up, feel free just to flick through the various verses. I want you to look out for every reference to Jesus, to Christ, to Lord. Look out for those references. They come over and over and over and over again. It's like Paul sits down, and as he begins to dictate this letter, which is being transcribed by Sosthenes. He's, he's prayerfully in the spirit, aware of all that's been going on and the reports that he's been hearing. And it's like he's, he, the spirit leads him just to go, oh, I'm going to just focus on Jesus. And I'm going to speak Jesus. And I'm going to use Jesus. I'm going I'm to call their attention to Jesus. So over and over and over, Jesus Christ, the Lord, is mentioned. It's an utter obsession with Jesus and that is the essence of true Christianity the essence of true Christianity is an obsession with Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ if you want to if you want to know what is the reason churches exist I'll tell you it's to be obsessed with Jesus and it's to help this world know how wonderful Jesus is it's why, it's why I do what I do. It's why we're here, because Jesus Christ is alive today and can be known. And so Paul draws attention to Jesus over and over again through this passage. It's a good obsession to have. I'm very happy to be accused of talking about Jesus too much, which actually has happened once, <laughs> believe it or not. Okay, verse 8. He will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, bear in mind all the issues that are going on in this church. He says to them, you will be blameless in the end. It's not a, do you know what? I really hope in the end you'll be blameless. It's not even God willing, when Christ returns, you you guys will be found blameless. So James says, as you speak about future things, say, if the Lord wills. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that here. Paul doesn't say that here. He says, you will be blameless in the end. You will be. Despite all the stuff that they're doing, he's certain. He's confident. He's persuaded. You will be blameless in the end when Jesus Christ comes. Wow. On what basis can he be so confident to make such a sure claim? Well, clearly his confidence is not based upon their behavior, certainly not how they do communion. His confidence is in something else. How can he be so certain? 
goes on to say in verse 9, because God is faithful, because God is faithful, you are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Only a couple of weeks ago we were looking at God who is faithful and we were considering this same idea that, that this day comes quickly when Jesus returns to this earth. When the heavens open and the trumpets sound and the myriads of angels declare he's arriving and every eye turns to see him and every knee bows before him and confesses that he's Lord. That day which is quickly coming, which is coming very soon, on that day you will be found blameless because God is faithful. Isn't that good news? Because God is faithful. His faithfulness is the overriding assurance of our blamelessness. And we live to enjoy the freedom of knowing God and walking with God with these promises ringing in our ears. So in verses 10 to 12, Paul comes to address the first issue. So this is his introduction that we've just been looking at, declaring truth over them, declaring how precious they are to God. And now he comes to confront the first issue. There are divisions in this church. In verse 12, what I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. What's happening here is in this church, which is probably a church significantly smaller than this one, probably about 100 or so people. This church is being fragmented essentially according to who their favorite leader is. So some are saying, do you know what, guys? Uh, Paul's my guy because he started this church. I'm, a, I'm of Paul. Some says, yeah, I'm of Apollos because Apollos' preaching is so much better than, than Paul's preaching. And some says, I'm with Cephas. I'm with Peter because he was Jesus' best mate. And then someone wades in and goes, I'm with Jesus. And so, so you have this incredible kind of divisiveness which is going on as, as people are aligning themselves with who their favorite leader was. And it's crazy. These personalities which are causing divisions in the church. Now let me suggest that if this was an issue for the first century church, how much more so is this an issue for the 21st century church? In the day and age of internet and podcasts and YouTube, where there are so many churches around, how easy is it for us to find ourselves talking in a familiar way? Oh, I'm with these kind of churches. I'm with this kind of leader. This is my type of church. This is my type of leader. And then we go further and we say, don't go anywhere near those kinds of churches. And we find ourselves using language which is divisive. And we find ourselves elevating ourselves as somehow better. This is what was happening here. And Paul's saying, this is crazy. What are you doing? Aligning yourself with Apollos. Aligning yourself with Cephas. Aligning yourself with Paul. He's like, what are you doing? This is crazy. He goes right for this. As the, all of the issues, he goes straight to this one first. This is challenging for me and should be challenging for all of us. How do you speak of other Christians? How do you speak of other churches? 
Is this a challenge that Jesus could make and through Paul to us today? I think so. We are, you know, we are not, as a church, we are not a business. We are not marketing ourselves as better. We are not saying, don't go there, do come here. Crazy. That's not what we're about. We are, we're not a franchise. We're not a business trying to make a profit. We are sheep who need a shepherd. We're all sheep. I'm a sheep. Not very clever. Not very capable. Sometimes needs a stick. I need a shepherd who will direct me and lead me and guide me. And Christians, we're sheep. We're all sheep. It's quite humbling. So how does he challenge this issue in the church? How does he, what does he do? He says, is Christ divided? And then look, was Paul crucified for you? The Jews ask for signs. The Greeks see, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews. Foolishness to the Gentiles. He says, I knew nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. What Paul doesn't do is he doesn't say, look, we're, we're all just equal. So stop preferring us. Since he does say that, but he says it in a particular way. He says, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified for me. It's like Paul saying, he, he was crucified for me. He was crucified for Apollos. He was crucified for Cephas. He was crucified for Mary. He was crucified for the church. He was crucified for all of us. You've got to see each other through the prism of Christ crucified. You've got to see yourself through the prism of Christ crucified. How ridiculous it is to hold up ordinary men and women as somehow better when you think Jesus Christ was crucified for that person. Do you see how leveling it is? Do you see how ridiculous it is to boast in any person other than in Jesus Christ? You say, I'm with Apollos. Apollos is wonderful. Do you realize that Jesus Christ had to be crucified because of the wickedness of Apollos? I'm with Paul. Do you realize that Jesus Christ had to be crucified for the wickedness of Paul? Paul is nothing. Apollos is nothing. I am nothing. Christ died for me because of my wickedness. It says, through the prism of the cross, we must understand that we are all wicked enough to the extent that Jesus died on the cross for us. Right. Secondly, here's another reason why the cross is his response to division. Is that through the prism, seen through the prism of Christ crucified, we are to see everybody as loved and precious to God to the extent of Christ crucified for them. Everyone. There's no room. There must be no room for divisiveness and division in the church because God loved the world so much that he sent his only son to be crucified for them. How outrageous and shocking it is when 
in the church, there's hateful language and, and there's divisive language. That in the church, there's racism. That in the church, there's hostility. How crazy it is, seen through the prism of Christ crucified. This is what Paul is saying. He said, I preach Christ crucified. That was the message. It's a message that levels us all. None of us are better than the other. And we've got to be very careful not to slip into this trap of somehow putting our confidence in anything else other than Christ crucified to see this nation change and turn. And may we, God forbid, ever put our confidence in particular leaders. Oh, may that never happen. We long for a revival in this nation. Lizzie and I were talking about a podcast which Lizzie listened to the other day in which this pastor said, true revival happens as the ordinary things have an extraordinary blessing upon them. Revivalism, fake revivals, are when we try to do extraordinary things to try and get extraordinary results. No, no, no. It's the ordinary under the extraordinary power of God. What's the ordinary? It's a simple message, brothers and sisters. It's the same old simple message that we have. It's the message that has been declared in churches over thousands of years. It's the same message that we are declaring here today. It's Christ crucified for us. That's our simple message. And if we're to see true change in this society, it's going to come about through that message. Any other growth, any other revival, any other work of God, so-called work of God, that doesn't have at its heart Christ crucified is false. This is our message. And this is how we are to be united United with one another in this room and united with the other Christians in this city and united with every Christian and saint around the world. We're united in Jesus Christ and in what he has done. And we're to love one another accordingly and we're to repent when we are guilty of divisive language and behaviors. And we're to value one another Seen through the prism of the cross, we see just how loved we are and how precious we are to the Almighty God. These chapters are going to go on to deal with some pretty hectic things. But I love how Paul's written this. Chapter 1, he comes in with the cross. Then we go right through to chapter 15, the resurrection. The bookmarks, the bookends, if you like, of this book. The cross and then the resurrection. In between, there's a lot of ethics and there's a lot of challenging of behavior. But ultimately, it's carried by the gospel, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What holds it all together. We start with this foundation. We look towards Jesus. We fix our eyes upon him. And as we declare him, as we declare the gospel, as we preach this, we'll grow in our love for one another and our love 
for the church. In verse 2, he says, To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, listen, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. As a, right from the word go. So we should pray for our brothers and sisters in this city. And we should thank God for other churches faithfully preaching the gospel. And there are other churches faithfully preaching the gospel in this city, loving Jesus. They might look a bit different. They might teach things slightly differently. But where Jesus is named, where Jesus is loved, we have fellow saints and fellow brothers and sisters. So we should value and love them accordingly. And he concludes in verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is our boast? What is your boast? Boasting in antiquity took place before great battles. If you've seen Lord of the Rings or you know, one of those kinds of films, you, you have Aragorn or one of the commanders on the horse going up and down the lines of soldiers and boasting, rallying them, stirring confidence in them, calling them to fight, calling them to battle. We're going into battle. Be confident. Be courageous, men. You hear Aragorn speaking in those terms. What is our boast? Our boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our boast. That's our, that's our hope. There's nothing else. We have nothing else. Nothing in our hands do we bring simply to his cross we cling. Amen? Why don't we stand? Let's invite the band to come. Let's just, uh, again, bring our hearts to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words, and we receive the challenge. We thank you for what you've done in us and through us. We thank you for this incredible grace, but for the grace of God. We thank you that you've rescued us from sin and that each of us stands here today because you were crucified in our place. Lord, let our boast only be in you and what you've done. Forgive us where we can be divisive and where we can take our eyes off you. May we be a church that celebrates and loves the saints in this city and beyond. I pray for unity in this church and unity with the wider church. I pray let us unite around the gospel. Let us unite around Christ crucified. And let this message be our clarion call. Let this message be our true boast. And let this message be the one that brings the revival in this nation. As men and women fall on their knees before the cross of Christ and see there victory over sin, victory over death, victory over shame, victory over guilt. As we bow before Jesus Christ, our King, resurrected and glorified on high, we declare you, Lord Jesus, as our true boast this morning. And we love and worship you.